Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Richard Knockles, consultant in organizational buying behavior, on selecting and scaling the right sales channel mix. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, I'm Paul, and today I'm with Richard. Hi, Richard. Who are you, Richard? Paul, hi. Um, so uh, my name is Richard Knockholds. I'm a business consultant working at the sort of sharp end in the sales and marketing space. I've been doing this type of work for a very long time, um, since the late 1980s. Um, worked with something, well, well over 100 clients over that period, some 40-odd countries, although mostly it's Europe, and mostly technology, but not always, and not always SaaS either. But uh, of in recent times, I guess, SaaS has been quite an important part of the, the client profile that I work with. You said you've been working for, a, you have a career that spans, I think, more than 25 years. You just mentioned very regretfully so that SaaS, the term itself, is pretty recent. Hmm. Before I go into specific questions about that, can you tell us, do you have a background? that is more into business, a background that is in engineering? Do you do code, basically, or not? Okay, so coding, forget it. No, I don't do code. Um, <laughs> but but um, no, I'm, I'm really at the sort of the buying-selling interface. So if you go back far enough in my career, I worked in sort of purchasing procurement for one of the oil majors years ago. But the, the last real job I had, I guess, was at Xerox. And Xerox these days is a, is a sort of a bit of a hollow shell. But um, when I was there in the mid-80s, it was the place you kind of went to if you wanted to understand B2B sales. It was um, one of the places where, I guess, an awful lot of people learn how to do sort of real technology selling in a business-to-business environment. And I left there in... This is embarrassing, but 1988, um, and I haven't had a a, a real job since. Um, So it's been consulting really (laughs) all the way. Um, The very early client, and this is not terribly relevant for what we need to talk about, but I had three very, very early clients. The first big one was BT. This was a time when people were anxious about whether you could actually pick up a payphone or not. Um, At that time, one in four payphones was broken. Um, so even the idea of payphones today sounds crazy. Um, w- one of the other firms I worked with was Dell. Oh. Um, so hardware, tin, if you will. And at that time, in apart from the US, they had one small office in Bracknell. They built the PCs on the ground floor and they sold it from the top floor. It was uh, <laughs> you know, very, very early days. And then uh, another firm was what, what was then called a body shop. So selling bodies who could uh, sort of work with DB2 and kicks and technologies that nobody's heard of these days. So, yeah, I go, go back a long way, a uh, long way, Paul, long way. <laughs> so you became a, a consultant, uh, but focused on organizational buying behavior, which is the term itself is actually seems very fascinating. Can you tell us maybe, can you let us in a little bit in exactly what you do? What do you come in as a consultant? If I, if right. I am a, a current big company or even a startup or an ocean capital uh, stable startup, what do you do for me? How, what do you teach me? Right. Okay. So um, there, there are a n- number of different ways I come at this, but um, I'm sort of, I'm a big believer in the primacy of the customer. So um, for me, it all begins and ends really with, with customers. Um, the bit I suppose I've done mostly with Notion Capital and I've uh, done bits and pieces for a number of the Notion Capital companies. So Volo, New Voice Media, 
bright pearl, tiny little bit with triptys, um, is uh, a lot of it's around routes to market, meaning it's all around the the different ways in which you get to your customers. Um, a lot of startups think that the only way to go is, is direct, um, and it's not, depending on where you are in your development and where your customers are in their receptivity to what you offer. So I kind of look at, um, or a typical engagement will be to look at the the way in which you take your offer to market. And some years back, my introduction to the Notion Capital guys was actually with Star Internet, which was the ISP they owned before they really separated out Message Labs. So I had a few years working with them quite closely on their routes to market, but both with the ISP and also with uh, with Message Labs. Um, I guess that, that would be the, the sort of typical entry point. There are others, of course, but but that would be the typical entry point for, for what I do, looking at where you take your product to market. And, and by that, I don't mean how you package it or how you price it. I, I really mean the sort of channels, which is a typically a mixture of direct and indirect. Let's go to channels. As you said, the go-to-market is not always to go direct. So channel partners, mm. can you tell us a little bit about that? Because especially when you're a startup, you think about direct as being the most obvious route. And there are many other routes that can be more obscure. So can you give us a little bit of insights in that? And can you tell us also how you scale these other type of channels that are maybe less known? There, there's several different types of channel partners. And, and really, in, in the software business, you only talk about what's called one tier um, in Something like fifty percent of technology tin goes through distribution, and, and you know, so it goes through a wholesaler and then through to resellers and retailers and and whatever else. But in in the software business, it's 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 typically one tier. In other words, there's just one link in the chain, I guess. And there, there are a whole variety of different types of player there, and they they come with all sorts of beguiling acronyms, there are lots of different labels. Um, but the the real materiality of this is is how dependent they are on you whether they can be completely independent from you, in which case they know how to sell, service, and manage the entire relationship where, where you provide them with a, a white box product or a white label product, and then reversing back to those where really they're just the, the access point. They provide you access to customers you wouldn't otherwise get to, but you have to do all the heavy lifting yourself. And of course, there are millions of shades of gray in between that. So so to, to kind of summarize, there are, there are those where... They take your product or service and they, they do everything, really. So, so you don't have to do the sell-through. And on the other side of it, at the very other end, what you're basically doing is you're paying for a warm lead, but you're working in concert with the, with the partner. There, there are a couple of other things we may c- catch on later on to do with sort of ecosystems and things. But, but broadly, there's this spread f- from completely dependent on you to completely independent from you. You said you're a big believer in the primacy of the customer. Yeah. Do you consider these partners and channel partners as customers as well or not? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, I know they're not the end customer, but do you act, do you behave with them as if they're also very valued customers, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so when you're starting up, you're you're agonizing over the sort of product market fit and trying to get somehow some notion of what this ideal customer profile is and trying to scratch away at a value proposition. Well, you need to do exactly the same thing with the partners. The the value proposition for a partner is very, very different to the one you have for your end user. And you know, you can easily, when you're when you're in sort of startup mode or in the early days, you can be blind to that and not realize that they're not so excited about what your product can do for the end user. It's got to do something for them as well. That that horrible expression of what's in it for me kind of shouts out loudly at this point. <laughs> 
How do you choose the right partners, especially, like you said, you're in the beginning of a very long road and you decide not to go direct because it's, it looks smarter and it will allow you to scale faster. I know it's a very generic question, but still, how do you value the right channel? How do you find these right partners uh, at the beginning? Okay, yeah, very good question. The the difficulty is really in, in that it, it actually has to come from your end customers and it's who they are currently buying from, who they have good relationships with. That's the primary steer point when you start out in looking at alternative routes to market. So so if you're if you're a name that nobody knows, although you may have that sort of slide or that web page which is full of logos showing all these great customers you've got. But if you're not really known, it may well be that there are other other vendors out there who've got much stronger relationships with people you want to play with. So piggybacking on that relationship is kind of where you go to. So you you would start with the end user, reverse back to who they have as, as natural suppliers where you could piggyback with those. And then you've got to see whether you've got an offer that works well with those partners. And they've got to win in some way. The, the partner's got to win. So, it, so it, it's these days, it's absolutely not all about revenue share. It's a whole, about a whole load of other things. It's whether you help make their service seem a little different in some way. So it adds a, another differentiator. You can revive or refresh offers from your partners because you're providing something new, which they don't have the R&D or the smarts to build themselves. Um, it can, if, if you will, it can find a, a way of making their product more sticky uh, because uh, certain uh, SaaS offers are much stickier than some more, if you will, conventional software offers. So, so there are a variety of different angles um, that work well with a partner. But it, for me, just to repeat myself, the, the end user customer is where you start from and you look at, if you like, who they're playing with and seeing whether that particular playground is one where you've got something you can uh, you can really work with. And one of the things you said a moment ago about, about speed to scale, that, that that's one of the things that using indirect partners can do, although it's actually a lot of hard work to do this right. But they can give you access to companies you wouldn't otherwise get to. And that, that I think, is the, the biggest strength of looking yeah, at partners. Yeah, so, so you rely on their own ecosystem. So you say you, you work backwards, you look at where the customers you want are already, uh, with whom they're already partnering with. But then, is that self-sustaining? Meaning, is that enough for you to use a reseller program, to put it simply, or do you need to also augment that uh, around with uh, either some more direct, you know, whether it's marketing, whether it's advocacy campaigns, you you try to go at the same time on your own and try to raise awareness that this particular vendor has carries your service, for instance. Yeah, yeah. So, so I I would say there are very few examples where an indirect only route makes the most sense. Um, so you end up with multiple routes to market. Um, so my, my experience of uh, early start companies is you, you absolutely start out direct. You have to. Um, you have to get a proof of concept. You have to have some customers there. You have to know what the agony is of, of trying to sell something. Um, but And, and you, can, you can carry on with that. That's not a problem. So you, you, you actually end up with a, a multi-channel set of routes to market. And you can't always segment it in the way that you would like. In other words, the customer makes that choice, not you, generally speaking. But most most people, I would say, they they would go for those um, those you know great big juicy what some would call glamour accounts, which are great logos to have as as, as customers. And you tend tend to <laughs> want to go for those direct um, if you can. And you may find the economics of approaching the sort of SME side of things a little, little more tricky, but not always. Um, 
but there, there are usually some some segments, some parts of the market you want to go for, where really partnering up with others has some merit. It's not always the case, but I, I just think that quite often, with, with certainly with the SaaS firms I've I've worked with, that they they prefer direct. Uh, I mean, a founder I was talking to just a little while ago thought that going indirect might imply to someone somewhere that they didn't have as much control over the market as they would like, so they were nervous of looking at an indirect route, whereas actually I think they were uh, therefore um, trying to sort of blank themselves off some some customer groups that they could otherwise get to through indirect partners. But it's 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 not an e- it's not an easy way to do things. Uh, a direct is 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 so much simpler because you can you can use the sort of bulldog clips and gaffer tape to hold it all together without anyone really seeing what's happening. Whereas when you work with partners, your your processes have to be a little bit more robust. I think that put some people off because the the effort of getting your own show uh, lo- lo- looking really good for a partner is actually quite hard. So the the, the simple answer to your question, I guess, was m- multiple channels is is normally the way to go, um, and and looking at a blend of uh, of different types of routes to market for me makes the most sense, depending on, of course, what the customer tells you. Uh, there's one thing that I really that really caught my attention in what you just said is about, of course, sometimes it feels, I guess, for a founder, he feels more comfortable about the direct, not only because he or she knows that route, but also because he or she feels more in control of that route. One of the things that we say currently with the, the scale of SaaS businesses, how you scale a SaaS businesses is the speed, at which speed you can scale, you know, yep. and can, especially if you're funded and you, you have to make the VCs happy, hello, no guys yeah uh, so how can you accelerate you know your revenue and your sales when you are doing it primarily or at a big chunk out of uh, channel partners it's it, it seems like a bit of a different science because you're not fully in control of the entire process yourself yes that's true um, and that that's uh, that's a good thing and a bad thing um, so the bad thing is that if you're not comfortable with with releasing your product through others and you feel that you you really are if you like not not controlling all those lovely metrics we like to look at from a sales point of view then then maybe this isn't for you but the reality is you've got your sales force you've got you know the 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 inbound and outbound folk dealing with things or however you take your product to market right now the scale leverage you get from partners is enormous because they already have customers. They already have their own sales force. So you multiply your sales effort uh, n times when you go through partners. In other words, you have a, a much broader scope of, uh, of customers to go for. And you're also, with, with partners, you're going for customers who are somewhat warmer in that they already have a relationship with these partners. So so the, the possibility of scale, for me, is actually a stronger argument than the, the, the perceived downside of losing some control. But the, the big barrier for me mostly is to get it right, you've got to have what, what I call process interlock, and, and that is you've got to have your processes and your partner's processes perfectly interlocked. So, you know, where, where, if something goes wrong, where, where's the escalation? Um, if you want to make sure your sales collaterals, everything that you've got about how you do things, are, are, are they structured in a way that work well with the partner? So, so there's, there's actually a lot, lot of work to be done to make sure that all of those processes are, are, are tightly knitted together. And that, that's probably a bigger obstacle than the one of control, frankly. The other thing is the uh, that the perception might be, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, the perception is that when you work with a channel partner, especially when you are yourself 
uh, in a young, let's say, SaaS startup or any, by the way, company that does sales, either there's some kind of course of power inequality because you're working with a much bigger partner than you are and maybe the terms and i'm not talking about the contract terms or the resale terms but even simply the terms of you just mentioned the terms collateral what you have to bring on the table for that partner to actually being willing to work with you you might also maybe feel less in control and but beyond that if you have multiple of those reseller partners doesn't that mean, and I'm being candid on purpose here, I'm trying to express what some founders would say, does that mean that you would have to have a multiple sets of different demands and you'd have to adapt to different demands at the same time and run multiple ways of selling at the same time? Uh, that's a possibility. Um, and I would say more than anything, that actually strengthens your internal processes if you have to do that. But you made a, a point early on in that comment, which, which was really about your maybe a, a small fish in a big pond with um, with some bigger players. And th this comes back to the way in which you try and fashion the proposition to suit the partner. So if your if your proposition's strong, there there are many suppliers out there who actually are, are groping around in the dark, looking for some ways to be different, looking for some additional bolt-ons that make their product a little stickier. So, so I think you, you can be pushing against an open door for the most part. So it's it's not a not a major obstacle, but the the thing that often can get in the way, uh, apart from this process interlock I, I I mentioned, is is just a, li a little bit of impatience. So the the first the first one always takes a long time, like anything. So so getting the first partner on board take, takes quite some time, and one of Notion Capital's uh, stable mates that I've done a little bit of work with um they've struggled with that you, you you've got to have a bit of persistence to, to make it work but when it does work and you get the first one on board the next one's so much easier and the next one after that and so on so it's a little bit like when when you've got a product with with no customers the first customer is always hard work so the rationale for your point of view there paul and uh, as you said you're being you've been candid on purpose i'm sure um that it's something yes. it's something where the, the the payoff is strong if you can really see that it's going to scale you quicker and if it's going to get you access to customers you want to others get to so really you know a, almost the first meeting i had with the star and message labs guys was was about these two words uh, speed and access Th those were the the two things this is way way more than 10 years ago um that were I guess, really kind of important as, aha, that could really do something for us. And it's not the only answer, but it's one of, one of the answers. Yeah. You said speed and access, aha. The third factor, which is cost. So how yeah. do you manage that cost? Because again, it becomes a, more, a little bit of more complicated than going direct. So how do you, you know, cope with cost? Yeah, great question. Um, so again, a, a, a founder some short while ago was saying to me that, um, that he, he was anxious that um, if this affects the cost to acquire and cost to serve and you know however else you try and build up the co cost model of, of uh, your sales and marketing activities, it was kind of, is, is this going to have an adverse impact on my ultimate valuation? And you've got to look at it in two ways. So one way is, yeah, what is the cost of getting there? The second is, am I actually going to get these sales or not if I try and do it myself? So I would say for the most part, the cost to go through indirect routes to market is a, is a sliding cost, the, the, like all costs. It, the more sales you get through partners, the, the, the smaller the 
cost per sale becomes. But it's not a low cost route to market. It, it, that, that would be true. It's not, uh, it's not the cheapest way at the start to, to go out and get customers. But it may be the only way to get certain customer groups you can't otherwise get to. And once you start, the speed of getting there is usually quicker. Is that something that, uh, I mean, of course, here we're talking Notion Capital and they work with you, so of course they get it. But is that something that VCs or investors in general understand? I would I would say it depends on the maturity of the product and the market that you're playing in. Um, so I would say that the direct model is is the easiest one to understand and, and for sure that that. You know the most obvious thing I can say, I guess, that you know direct sales is simple. You 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 know what your costs are, you know what the outcomes are. You've got some metrics to measure productivity of what people are doing, and you know how to manage your funnel and all the rest of it. Um, but it's it's more for me. It's more a question of if if you can't get access to the customer groups you should be accessing, not because you've got a bad product or not because you've got poor marketing or whatever, you just can't get through to these people. There might be another way of doing it. And that's what these indirect routes can do. And I, I would say, not that I've got you know a, a hundred funders that I'm talking to regularly, but of those that I, I know and work with, it actually takes a little a little bit of effort to get it. Uh, it's not so straightforward as as selling direct. Selling direct is easy. It's well, I say it's easy. It's easy to follow. Selling indirect, as you rightly point out, has some, has some <laughs> complexities. Yeah. If I were to start myself tomorrow a SaaS company, I wish because I wish it was that smart. But <laughs> if I were to start a SaaS company tomorrow, besides, of course, trying to work with you because you teach me stuff like that, are there like any basic basic is not the right term any any starting points you would actually give to founders and say okay these look think about this or do this at a very early stage because that will build your mentality the philosophy your brand your product around the fact that maybe one day you will need to go to multi-channel okay well i i'm i'm a big fan of steve blank and and his his work Uh, and one of his phrases i think he says it just as well as anybody else, which is get the heck out of the building. By that, he means, and I mean, that if you don't have enough time with customers and prospective customers, you'll never get it, never get it at all. If you spend too much time on the engineering side of things and ignoring customers, you know, forget it. And customers teach you more than anybody else. And they also teach you, by the way, which are the right ways to approach them, which are the right routes to go through. Um, So get the heck out of the building. In fact, a a better quote is... uh, is from John le Carre, who says, a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. So yeah, get out of the office. It's the best thing I can <laughs> offer. Uh, so Richard, if people want to reach you, you and your, of course, your consulting services, how can they find you? Uh, best place to go is LinkedIn. I'm very receptive to uh, anyone who wants to hook up on LinkedIn. So yeah, that would be the best place to, uh, to get in touch with me. And on that, uh, Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much.